You are listening to our Vision Sunday Sermon, a message where we talk about the core values of Bay City Church. For more audio and video content, visit baycity.church. This week, we're taking a break from our Word and Witness series. We've been walking through the book of John. And as always, the first Sunday of the year, it's always good to pause and reflect because many of us have made New Year's resolutions, right? Many of us have and some of you have already lost some on the donuts when you walked in, right? Some of you have already failed, okay? But I want to motivate you beyond that. And you know what's interesting about New Year's resolution? Because I was sitting with my wife, and I'm a nerd, so I like to plan and goal set and do all that sort of stuff. So I'm sitting there with a notebook, and she's half listening to me as I, uh, as I explain what I'm, my goals for the year. You know what's interesting? We always set goals, especially when it comes to New Year's resolutions, about what to do. Always about what to do, right? I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to make this much money this year. I want to meet this guy or this girl, right? We're always setting goals about what to do. I want to buy this car this year. I want to graduate school this year. Always about what to do. But it's interesting because we all really, although we do want to do some things, there's also an underlying reason behind those goals. It's not so much that we're just trying to figure out what to do, but we're, we're looking at how to be, who to be, right? Who to become underneath that. So let me give you an example. For instance, it's like, say your goal is I want to buy a car. Right? I want to buy a car this year, a new car. It's, of course you want to buy the car, but it's not so much that you want to buy a car, it's that you want to buy that car, right? You want to be the sort of person that would drive that car, right? Say you want to, maybe your goal is to lose 25 pounds this year. I want to lose some weight. I want to get, I want to get healthy. I want to, I want to be healthy. It's not so much that you want to go to the gym four times a week, so much as it is that you want to be the sort of person that goes to the gym four times a week. You're kind of aiming to be somebody. You've got this vision in your mind of who you want to become, and you're setting your goals accordingly. So let me ask you just a kind of fundamental question. Not what do you want to do this year. Who do you want to become this year? What sort of person do you want to become this year? Now, as you think about that for your own personal goals and vision for maybe who you want to be this year and maybe what what sort of financial goals or job goals or family goals you might have, let me, consi- let, me, let me ask you and implore you to think spiritually about this for a second. What sort of person do you want to be spiritually this year? And so I'm going to give kind of an overarching resolution, hopefully, for, for Bay City Church, but maybe you can adopt it yourself, okay? And I'll explain it. In 2020, seek, seek to be an authentic version of yourself, an authentic follower of Jesus. Now, the word authentic is very important in here because many of you might say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus already, I understand. Or maybe some of you are like, I don't know what that means. Authentic, authentic follower of Jesus. Because authenticity is important. What does authenticity really mean? Authenticity is really about congruence between you, the way you behave, and your deeper values, right? What are my deepest values? How do I want to live my life? How do I want to serve others? And am I living that out, Right? Now, we can all readily recall experiences when we're actually act, uh, acting inauthentically. You, wanna, you remember those? The, when, remember when you acted at odds with ways you felt like you knew you should be acting? Has anyone, just by show of hands, has anyone done something they felt was out of character with themselves? Okay, all of us, hopefully, right? We've all done that. We felt, and what do we say often when we do something that's not aligned with how we think we should act? What do we say? That's not who I am. That's not who I am. I, that's not who I am. I, I believe I am this way. I'm acting incongruently with that. And when I do that, I go, that's not who I am. Okay? Authenticity is really about acting in congruence between our deeper values and beliefs and our actions. 
That's what we're aiming for this year. And, authentic, and authenticity, in a, in a sense, is really about being the same person in all your circles. How many circles do you have? You have a circle of friends, circle of family, church family, work. Let me ask you a question. Are you that same person in all those places? Or do you remove your persona like a hat in each place you walk into? Right? Authenticity at its root is really about integrity. You know, the word integrity comes from the word integer in math. Numerator is the same as the denominator. Whole number. You're, a whole, you're, you're, you're seeking wholeness. So every, in every denominator, you're the common denominator. Are all your numerators the same in all your circles? Are you the same person at work or as you are with your friends? Or do you have different versions of yourself in each place you go? My goal for you all and for our church is to seek wholeness, a whole Christian life in every space that we go into. Nobody wants this feeling of being unwhole or out of sync with who you believe yourself to be. Now, I think I can help us all get there, but before I can kind of show you uh, a few ways we can do that, I think it's important to uh, kind of state some of the problems in our Western culture uh, when it comes to being authentically, let's say, Christian. So I, I understand some of you may not be Christian, but for the sake of for the sake of all of us, I think that there'll be some things for you to learn here as well. What is it, there's some issues about being authentically Christian in our own society. And here's the biggest problem I see, okay? Today, what we say has become more powerful than what we do. What we say has become more powerful than what we do. So, for instance, I can say something about my life, and, I, and I've stated my truth, therefore it is true, because I've said it. Does that make any sense to anybody? I could tell you right now, I am not on the stage, and I believe it in my heart, therefore I'm not on the stage. I think, therefore, I am. Oh, it's not such an old idea. It's not such a new idea, right? This has been going around for a long time. So we believe that we, what we say we are is what we are in society. Now that makes actually being something very challenging. But this is actually what makes Christianity fundamentally different from most other worldviews. Because in authentic Christian circles, you actually have to become something. There's a... There's a, you have to put skin in the game. It's actually one of the only religions, or one of the only worldviews, rather, especially today, where you can actually say you're a Christian, and Christianity can say back to you, uh, no, you're not. You don't agree? Jesus said it himself. People said, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we serve many people in your name? Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus himself has told people, I'm Christian. He said, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> Jesus has actually done that. That's, that's been a thing in Christianity. And so, there's something ha that happens when you, when you become a authentically Christian that changes you, and it's the reason why you can't actually act outside of that box. You can't say you're Christian and not perform or, let's say, grow fruit like it. Here's, here's why, verse 17 in our text. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When someone calls themselves a Christian, maybe some of you in here, or a believer in God, what they are saying is that you've essentially changed, that Jesus Christ has come, he's, you've believed his words, he's taken your heart of stone out, he's granted you a heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh is able to follow God as it sees, and so it's able to follow him. And so if, if that heart doesn't follow God, we can surmise that maybe that heart hasn't been changed by Jesus. That's what happened here. Our old selves die when someone becomes a Christian and a new self has arrived. God has essentially slaughtered the old broken self and has given a new transformed self that is able to change. Now, fundamentally, 
for the believer then, that means that someone's a Christian, the most authentic self is the self that follows what Jesus wants to follow because the new self is the self that follows Jesus. And so if our lives don't follow Jesus, then how can we say that our numerator is the same as our denominator? But what's great about this is that God is the one who actually grants us power to change. It's not all on us. Because I'm about to give you a list of some marks of how to live your life for, this, for, the, for 2020. And what I don't want you to feel is a tremendous amount of weight to perform, because that's not what's going to happen here. God calls us to, to this standard, but he also provides and makes a way for us to be able to follow that standard. So fundamentally, Christianity has a posture that must first receive from God and then behave. Receive from God. Well, many other worldviews say, look deep inside and ladle that out and give it to the world. Christianity says first receive from God and then be able to give that to others, right? We go to God with our cup. The psalmist says, and our cup overflows. It's overflowing, and we lead and serve other people with the overflowing of that cup, okay? So here's what I want us to do before I give you these these seven marks of this authentic Christianity. We're going to receive our authentic selves from Jesus, okay? And so just to start this year a little different, I mean, if you're not comfortable with this, that's totally okay, but I would just like us to, to just give ourselves a demeanor of receiving. And so what that means for me in my head, I'm thinking, man, what does it look like for you to put your hands out in this moment? And let's just take a pause for, for a few seconds and receive the identity that God has given us. And let's receive that now, and I'll pray over us, and we'll continue. So let's, let's put our hands out, if you're willing. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we want to receive. Before we go out and do this year and, and try to try to make a change in our lives and in the lives of others, Lord God, we need to receive the power and the energy and the strength that this is not about us, it's about you, that our behavior is not contingent on our salvation, Lord, but you've granted that to us and we're free now to serve you. So would we receive this Holy Spirit on us this morning and for 2020, Lord God, would you bless us and would you keep us in his name, amen. So now that, we can, now that we've received that, okay, now that we receive that, we have to become something on behalf of Jesus. And, it, and, the, and the clue is in verse 20. Verse 20 of our text. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So Paul, the author of 2 Corinthians here, he is sent by God to, uh, to minister to people to announce that, that no longer is our salvation resting on our adherence, rather it's in belief in Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so like Paul, we're ambassadors for Jesus. So everyone who calls themselves a Christian doesn't just call themselves that in name alone. They, call, they actually have to wear an identity as ambassador for Christ. And so if you ever thought, man, I'm not into politics, too bad. You're, you're an ambassador, okay? You get to be an ambassador for Jesus in your spheres of influence. And that's what you are this year. So for 2020, let's speak a cultural code over us that we can follow this year. This is by no means, by the way, what I'm about to explain, an exhaustive list of things that you need to do to be a Christian, okay? That's not what this is. But what I do hope this is, is that I hope that it, it kind of seeps in just underneath the skin a little bit and becomes our identity, that we might actually begin to live out some of these cultural codes. And we'll find out in doing so that we find our most authentic self when we love and serve Jesus. Sound good? Okay, if you like to take notes, this is a good note-taking sermon. If you don't, you wouldn't take them anyway, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, so seven marks of what it, can, it, what it should mean for us this year to live an authentic Christian life. Can we put number one up? 
Number one, we're all about Jesus. Surprise. We are all about Jesus. What is it about? It's about ordering our lives around what Jesus has called us to. Look, in the Bay Area, we love independence. We love to do our own thing. I mean, you guys all work at really nice companies. You don't even have deadlines anymore. You got ping pong tables and sleep pods and, and granola bars. You can pretty much do whatever you want on your own time as long as you get your work done by, I don't know, 2024. And they just want to keep you there, right? The benefits are amazing. You independence because millennials, for those of you that are millennials, you guys work really well without pressure, right? That's us. I feel that. We, we love to just live our lives on our own terms, and it gives us space to be creative and to get our jobs done. Right? Sound familiar for some of you that work in tech? Yeah? That's where we're at. Independence, right? But what if, as we made decisions for our lives, that our first priority wasn't how we personally felt about something? What if it was actually about what Jesus literally wanted for us specifically? Now, I know it's easy to say, of course I live my life for what Jesus wants in my life. I, I understand. But when it comes down to every decision, do we actually invite Jesus into our decision-making? Look at verse 15 with me in our text. And he died for all, Jesus, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see that? That the people that die, they die, the new self, the old self is killed, the new self comes, that the, as they rise they might live for the one who died on their behalf. Not for ourselves, independence, freedom, but for God, ordering our lives. So what does that look like practically? You may be confusing. What does that really mean? Well, what if when considering a new job, what if when considering a new job, we asked Jesus what he wanted us to do? Go figure, right? What if we said, Lord, what do you want me to do in this new job? You're thinking, I've done that. Well, I know we often do thank God when we've accepted the job, or when we, get the, when we get the job offer, but do we actually consider what God wants us to do? Or do we, when we accept the job, literally follow the cultural standard of more money, more upward mobility, uh, bigger house, whatever? Do we just follow that? Or do we actually ask God what we want? Because God may often ask us to sacrifice external things for eternal values. He might actually ask us to do that. So sometimes the cultural standards way might not be the best spiritual decision to make. Do you understand what I'm saying? What if instead of spending money, we ask God what he wanted us to do with our money? God, what should I do with our money? What should, I, what should we do with this money? I got this extra money. What should I do with it, Lord? Ask God. What if, in other words, what if Jesus was actually Lord over our lives? What if he was actually involved in all of our decision making? Our lives should be all-encompassing, all about Jesus, living for the one who gave us the ultimate gift, his son's death, resurrection, right? That's what, that's what we're talking about here. We are all about Jesus. Every conversation, Jesus is informing those conversations. We do not have siloed lives where we are different in every sphere. We are the same person all the way through, same numerator, same denominator, always asking Jesus' opinion about what we should do in our lives. Sound good? What else? We are all about Jesus, but we also want to do this. Number two, we want to, we add value. We add value. What's this about? We make people, places, and things better as we interact with them. We make people, places, and things better as we interact with them. Uh, Seth Godin, many of you guys know him, has a, a great book called Lynchpin. It's about how you make yourself indispensable within an organization or company. 
What are some of the things you can do at your company that will make you indispensable, that they need you, that you're literally the linchpin that holds the grenade intact, okay? That's what, that's what we're talking about here. Where are you in your life the linchpin? Are you the linchpin in your community, your place of work, uh, in, your, in your circle of friends? Where are you so valuable that if you were gone, the whole place would fall into chaos or they would desperately need a replacement? Where is that? You know, it's interesting. The Christian worldview offers so much to society, and it has historically. I mean, there's just no way around it. Hospitals and seminaries and many of our secular colleges today, nonprofits, all have added value to society over the course of American history. There's just no debating that. But recently, if you were to ask somebody about Christianity, people are finding it increasingly more difficult to, to discover the, the value of Christianity to society. In fact, there's very, little, uh, there's very little research that says today that people actually still value Christianity as a whole, we're talking the society as a whole, as necessary to the fabric of moralism in the United States. We're just not seeing that amongst people's beliefs anymore. Now, of course, I believe that. I think many of you believe that, but we're not seeing that as a whole. But your Christian perspective, if you are a Christian, or your belief, your perspective, everyone's perspective, it matters. Your perspective matters. So let me just ask you a couple questions about your perspective in rela- as it relates to your faith. Does your circle of friends know you're a Christian? Does, do people know that you believe in Jesus? Have you actually used that to inform a decision? Does anyone at your work know what you believe about God? And, and consider also how long you've been working there. And ask yourself that question. And I'm not saying go around and hand out tracts and be a weirdo and all those weird things. I'm not, asking, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But what I am saying is when people, are in time, when people are in times of hurt and need, do you offer your perspective to them? Do you offer them the way of Jesus? Man, I got to hear a, a great talk recently where uh, uh, people were interviewing a former uh, porn star. They were interviewing a former porn star who had become a Christian. And she was sitting around in a circle, they're having a discussion. Her boyfriend was there, a couple other people. And they're talking about you know, dating and relationships and marriage. And what happens in the middle of this conversation is her boyfriend pulls out a phone and starts passing it around, showing photos of her to all the guys in the group. Horrible. Just absolutely deplorable behavior. And she felt terrible about it. And she started crying and kind of walked outside. And another guy who had just happened to be there um, went outside and chased after her, un- completely unrelated, and said, hey, uh, is everything okay? And she's like, no, I-, I didn't think that my future husband would ever do that to me. And he's like, well, I know someone that wouldn't do that to you. His name is Jesus. Have you ever heard of Jesus? And you think, man, that's a little pushy. But in a moment like that, there are opportunities in your life where you see someone down on their luck or stressed out where you can present the gospel as an obvious and open invitation for them. That's what it means to add value to people's lives at the highest level. Can you do that? And have you done that? Have people asked perspe- your opinion around certain social, political, and cultural events because you've been obvious and open with your faith? And Besides your faith, where else have you added value in your community? Do you, do you serve anywhere? Do you contribute anywhere? At your place of work, are you, a, are you a reliable and dependable worker and friend? Are you those things? So here's my question for you in this one. Where in your city have you made such an impact that the place would be worse off if you were gone? Where in your city have you made such an impact that the place would be worse off if you were gone? Or would anybody notice at all? I want for you a season of adding value into people's lives this year, particularly with the gospel. All Jesus, by the way, did was add value. That's all he did. Verse 18, it says, and this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ in God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Here we see that Jesus adds value by reconciling the world to himself. That's all he did. When he visited sinners, he would consistently and constantly add value to them by adding, giving them advice, calling them to something greater than themselves, calling them towards repentance. Jesus saw our greatest need and he filled it. Where do you see a need in your city, in your family, in your church that you can fill and add value to? Where do you see it? Okay, we're all about Jesus, we add value. What else? Number three. We are cheerfully generous. You guys just got to hear about how generous many of you have been. It's awesome. What's this about? It's about giving our resources as fuel to God's kingdom-building fire. And I don't need to beat this one down, but I will say that we give sacrificially and generously as we give our resources as a tool for the kingdom of God to be built in San Francisco and beyond. And look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 through 9. It says this about giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely, and he has given to the poor. So first thing is this. We see here that Jesus gives to us, so we give. God gives us, and we redistribute that's a wonderful idea that God gives us all things. We have all, it says, all sufficiency in all things in all times. That's the sort of God we serve. We serve a God who is making sure we are taken care of regardless of the circumstances. That is wonderful. So we don't need to be fearful with our resources, thinking that, man, I don't know if God's going to come through. Actually, a radical generosity is a surest sign that you're content and comfortable with God's call on your life, that you know that God's going to be there for you. It's a wonderful idea. And it also says each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So if you are giving and you feel pushed or, or you're giving angrily, that is not congruent. And is, is it authentic? No. Is it? It's like when someone's invited over your house and you're cleaning the house and you're angry about it. And you're like, oh, this yeah, I gotta sweep the floor again, and oh, God, Stacy's coming again. I can't believe this. And you're angry because Stacy's coming over again, and you get there, and she's and she's like, "How's everything going?" And you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? Welcome, come on in. I'm so glad you're here. You are so livid that you had to clean that house. That is not authentic. Okay, that is not authentic. And the same is true with giving. You want to go write the check? Oh my gosh, this stupid money again. Here we go. Here we go. It's charity. <laughs> You're giving the money away? That's not what God wants. God wants you to live in sync with your authentic. He wants you to live, be your most authentic self. And so that's why he says, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Because I want you to like it. I want you to like giving. That's what he wants from you. Because I know that if I've transformed you and you're a new creation in Christ, that eventually, as you grow and you mature in your faith, that you will desire to do what I've done for you, to give. And he understands that. I want radical generosity for you, and one of the reasons I want it for you is that what you do with your money communicates to the people around you what you value. And man, I'll tell you what, in our society, one of the surest ways to convince somebody that you're for real is what you do with your money. 
People know. You could say, I'm a Christian, yada, yada. Oh, yeah, well, what do you really do besides visit church? Or, yeah, yeah, I'm into the nonprofits. I love the homeless. Well, what do you really do besides go on Twitter and talk about the homeless problem? Oh, I actually donate significant amount of money to my home, to the homeless shelter. I actually participate in serving the homeless shelter. I actually give back to my church. People, are, people actually can see it. People go, oh, okay, so you actually put your money where your mouth is. You actually do it. Because money is a huge, a huge God in our society. And so if people see you serving something else other than money, they take notice. It's a witness to others. So cheerfully generous. What else? Another, number four. We don't wear masks. It's about, we aren't ashamed of our mess. We are a work in progress. This means you are bringing your most authentic self to the world, okay? This is what it means. Look at verse 17 with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Here we see that God absorbs our mess. Okay, because I'm going to give you three reasons we don't wear masks. The first one is God isn't ashamed of your mess, and you shouldn't be either. God does not want your best. He takes your worst and gives you his best. And so when we hide our mess from other people, we're more ashamed of our mess than Christ is. Jesus is willing to absorb that mess, okay? And when we, when we do that, we are kind of sweeping stuff under the rug, trying to present our best selves forward, but that's not obvious because we know we're hurting inside, aren't we? We know we're stressed out. We know we're anxious. We know we're tired. We have all these things deep buried in, and we're not presenting that to the world. We are wearing masks. The other thing, the other reason we don't wear masks is Jesus didn't die to make us the world's greatest actors. He did not die to make us pretend to be saved, sinners saved by grace. Everyone wears masks, and the thing is, in church, when we hear that, we go, yeah, I mean, I, know, I can think of plenty of people that are, are just putting masks on, and like, man, they're phony to me here and there, and you know, and you can see that, but here, it happens in the church as much as it happens anywhere. I mean, mask with Christian stickers is still a mask. And if you are, if you are, the, if you are incredibly different on a Sunday morning as you are at any other time during the week, and it's not because you're happy you get to hear about Jesus, it's just because you're trying to pretend, then you've got an authenticity problem. If this is the time you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? Bah, everything's good. You know, if that's the time you're doing that, then you have an authenticity problem. We don't want to wear masks because Jesus didn't die so we can win a Tony Award in pretending to be happy. That's not what he's after, okay? The last thing, the, reason we, the last reason we don't wear masks is that our transparency leads to transformation. You see, once we get the brutal facts of our own soul, once we get the brutal facts of who we really are, that we are sad, that we are struggling, that we aren't doing as well as we hoped, then we're able to actually make change. Now, we're able, now we've got a good starting point, a foundation. Once we get the brutal facts about who we are, now we're able to actually have a good starting point to change. When you don't give all the information, you're not going to be able to start changing. It's like when you go to the doctor, you got significant problems, you avoid telling the doctor some of your symptoms, you're not going to get a good diagnosis. Many of us have just been hiding things for so long, you haven't get an accurate diagnosis, you keep trying different things and none of them's working. You've got to be honest. Trans our, uh, our transparency leads to transformation for us, but it also leads to transformation for others. 
See, Paul says you can comfort those with the comfort you've received in Jesus. That means the things that you've struggled with, if you share those things, you are, other people are able to come to you and go, oh, I can find hope with that person. I can find hope with that person. I want authentic relationships for you too. And being transparent emotionally is the quickest way to, to, to having great authentic relationships. I mean, at Bay City, we've got to see so many, so many people openly confess sin, openly confess struggles in the middle of city groups to see people say, I'm struggling with this. This is where I'm, I'm hurting in this area. To see that, now you've got an open door for people to help minister to you. That's what we want. I'll just be completely honest with you. We start, me and my wife, we came to start Bay City 18 months ago, and we were terrified, completely terrified. Is this going to work? This is the least church city in America? I don't know if this is going to work. You know, I, I, I like to preach. How's it going to be preaching all the time to San Franciscans? I just moved from Utah. They're way different. Like, this is going to be hard. Are they going to like me? Am I too big? Am I too loud? I don't know. It's crazy. It, there's fear there. But when you're transparent about that fear, one, you're saying that I'm a sinner saved by grace. It doesn't really matter what other people's opinions are about me because I'm, I've got an opinion. Jesus has his opinion of me. But also, other people may go, you know what? I'm afraid too. We should have a conversation. We don't wear masks. Jesus didn't die for you to put a mask on. He died for you to take one off. Next. Number five, we show up. We show up. What's it about? Stewarding our physical presence for the benefit of Jesus and others. This is a big one in our culture today. Now, this is specifically for especially the Bay Area, but a culture like ours has become increasingly less present, hasn't it? Increasingly less present. Phones, social media. We have the idea that somehow our phones can actually substitute for physical presence and relationship. And so studies are showing that we actually, we, we're actually trying to substitute Facebook, literally, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for physical relationships. And we're realizing that a like, a, thumb, a thumbs up is not the same as a hug in real life. We're discovering that as a society. Keep in mind, this is all an experiment for us. I mean, we're the, we're the first, this is the first time in history we've been able to do this. We're experimenting right now with all this. But people actually do value and want your physical presence. And that's true here, that's true in your place of work, that's true in your family, okay? Sending a card is great, people wanna see your eyes. People wanna see it. So I have a question. What's it been like for you to have people in your life show up for you? Remember the time you were stressed out or struggling, person came over, actually sat with you, brought their presence to you, consoled you, looked at you, prayed for you? What was that like having that person show up? What's it like being at your piano recital or your art expo or your, or your baseball game and see your parents physically show up, to see their physical presence there? When you're physical presence, it communicates something about who you are. I want us to be people that show up this year. Are we going to show up? Make a commitment this year to show up for your city, to show up for your church, to show up for your family. And by the way, people notice when you're not around. Hey, when you're not here at Bay City, I miss you. I notice. We all notice. We love you. That's not to be compulsory, just to mean we like you. When, those of you that are in my city group, when you're not there, I miss you. I'm like, I cooked. I want you to be there. I, I like you. I like cooking. I like when people eat it. I like when people lie to me and tell me it's great. I like that. We miss you. When you miss Thanksgiving dinner, people notice. People notice. We want you there. 
consider it one of your goals this year to show up for people. Because you don't know the compounding effect of this over the course of a year on somebody. But man, man, I'm looking back. Man, he was there all year for me. Those, that sort of behavior is going is to grant you opportunities to, to give the gospel, to give advice, to be friends with people. It's going to give you that. So look for opportunities in your spheres of influence. Maybe it's your gym. Maybe it's your circle of friends. People inviting you to stuff. Show up. Show up for people this year. When the decisions between sleeping in, going to brunch, or taking me time, choose other people this year. Choose other people. Number six. We give grace like we've received it. What's it about? Forgiveness is better than retribution. Forgiveness is better than retribution. Now, forgiveness is tricky for many people because we want to receive forgiveness like a fire hose, but we want to give it out like a leaky faucet. Like, we're willing to, I, I need forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I, I can't believe I did that to you. But man, when it comes to someone doing something wrong to you, you go, it's just not that easy. I can't just forgive them. Why? Because it just, it hurt me. I'm just harmed by what they did for me. Now, we want the forgiveness. I mean, and God forbid we wouldn't get it from that person. But when it comes to giving it out, we're like a leaky faucet. Now, many of us can't forgive, and it's difficult for us, and oftentimes that means that because we know that Jesus forgives them, we're often elevating ourselves slightly above Jesus as Lord in our lives. We're saying, yeah, Jesus forgives you, but I, I just can't yet because I'm not him. And you're, our standard is slightly higher than Jesus' standard. Look at verse 19 for a second. In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. What if Jesus had said, you know, it's not that easy. I can't just forgive you that quickly. I mean, there's some things I still need to work out in my own heart before I can forgive. I mean, what you did wasn't very nice. It, it hurt me. You don't understand my hurt. I, I had nails through my hands. That hurt. What if we had said that? What if we were like, aren't we thankful that Jesus isn't like us? That he so willingly forgives us for what we've done wrong? Should we believe in his name? Now, what sort of witness would it be in your life to unashamedly and unabashedly forgive people? Like, forgiven. I love you, you're forgiven. Because that doesn't just happen. I mean, I've seen, many of you have seen this as well. I have family that have broken relationships because neither of them wants to apologize for something so foolish. Maybe some of you are there as well. I just can't forgive that person. We don't even talk anymore. What sort of witness would it be to say, hey, listen, I know all the things that have happened between us. I get it. I love you. I forgive you for what's happened. I hope you can forgive me for what's happened, and I'm willing to put this past us. I serve a great God who's forgiven me. I've done a lot of wrong things. He's, he's embraced me. He's forgiven me. I want to embrace you and forgive you as well. What sort of witness could that be to somebody that either is struggling in their faith or maybe doesn't believe in Jesus? That sort of power to do that in today's world only comes from a supernatural place. Only comes from a supernatural place. I want that for you. Now, some of us might say, no, they must apologize for what they've done. But oftentimes, our untempered forgiveness could be what leads them to apologize in the first place. You understand that. It could be that you're forgiving them. I go, you know what? I did some stupid things. Could be. All right. Our last one, guys. Our last mark of the authentic Christian. Number seven. Number seven. We are grateful no matter the circumstances. What's it about? 
All we have is the gift from God, and we live like it. Now, don't most of our problems actually just come from this? Just being ungrateful? We're just, we've become an ungrateful society as a whole, and our gener- and younger generations in particular. Ungrateful. All we have is a gift from God, though. And we have such abundance in America. There's a, a, uh, a financial guru that's moved from India, and he has this, he has an interesting take on taxes. Yeah, everyone complains about taxes. He says, you know what? I actually don't complain about my taxes because I know I could not earn what I earn in any other place in the country. I have, a, I have the pleasure and point to be able to give my taxes to a place where I actually get the opportunity to make the money I make. What if we took that sort of posture when it came to the things of our lives? We always complain about all of these things, but man, a, a, a tax in America means you have an opportunity to earn an income in America. This is powerful. Now, there's a, a comedian on Netflix. Many of you guys have seen Ronnie Chang's new uh, Netflix special. Uh, he's from China, and uh, he points out, being from China, about how uh, ungrateful Americans are. And you can kind of see it, and I've got a, a, here's, here's a quote from him. He says this. He says, there's so much stuff in America, so much abundance. It's hard to see if you've been born and raised there, but if you come from somewhere else, it's so obvious. The abundance in this country is out of control. It's like Christmas every day. Hyperloops, electric cars, SpaceX, robot vacuums, iPhone 8s and 10s at the same time. They can't even wait in America. There was an iPhone 8 and an iPhone 10 in the same year. That's weird. I mean, they skipped nine. Can't wait. Americans, we, we're ungrateful. We, as a society, we've looked at our resources and said, this, this isn't enough. And we're always looking forward to the next thing. Oftentimes, we used to, we, the reason why we're frustrated and the reason why we're stressed out about all of our things and so ungrateful is because we're starting to feel entitled. We're starting to feel entitled for the things that we used to be grateful for. You understand? Oh, man, this is so great. Your boss gives you a raise, and all of a sudden, I'm expecting a raise. I'm expecting a raise. And if I don't get a raise, I'm angry. Right? We're entitled to things we used to feel grateful for. What does it look like this year to be grateful in all circumstances? What does it look like to, to decide to be positive in a situation where you've easily gone negative? What does it look like to do that this year? I want this gratitude for you over your life. This year, don't become entitled to the grace that God has given you. Don't presume upon the grace of God. Don't presume that, you know what, I've believed, I've prayed the prayer, I'm a Christian, I'm clutching onto my salvation certificate, and I can just go about my business. Hold on. What does it look like to actually, God, to fill you with that grace and, then you, and fill you with gratitude, and then you use that on others? Gratitude that grants you with contentment so that you're not so negative this year. What does that look like? Now, uh, do we have a list of all seven at once? Yeah, okay, so these are all seven. This is the cultural code here for 2020 in Bay City. These are seven things I hope that if you don't want to take all seven, I'm going to try to take all seven. I hope our church as a whole takes all seven, that there may be one or two of these that you implement in your life this year. That you say, you know what, I think I'm, everything is going to be about Jesus. I'm gonna, I hope that one is for everybody. Okay, let's just count that one for everyone. Moving on. You want to add value. You want to be cheerfully generous. You don't want to wear masks anymore. You're going to be authentic. You're going to show up. We're going to be grateful. We're going to give grace to people. We're going to forgive people. Where are you going to implement these in your life this year? Now, just to close, I know some of us are thinking, man, 
how am I going to be grateful this year? You don't understand the life I've had this year. You don't understand the stress, the lost relationships, the death, the, the problems I've experienced this year. How do you understand? How do you think I could possibly be grateful or give grace to anybody this year? This is where Christ comes in. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, God, God creates the world and makes it perfect. He creates human, humanity. They are very good. Everything else is good. They're, the humanity is very good. Very good humanity decides to rebel against a very, very good God. And they, as a result, destroy his, uh, destroy his creation. The reason why it's hard to add value is because humanity is causing problems. The reason why it's not easy to be generous is because our sin is present. The reason why we don't want to show up is because we're fractured in our relationships. This all comes from the problem of sin that has entered into the world. And so God says, despite all of the wrongdoing you've done to me, I'm going to give grace and I'm going to send Jesus to the world. Anyone who would believe in Jesus would not die. They would not die as a result of their sin. They would inherit eternal life. That's what our God does. And he sums it up so perfectly in verse 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You have an opportunity in Jesus to absorb the righteousness of Jesus, to cast off your sin, and to become something special in this world. And that's all because of Jesus. And if you feel like, man, I don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. This is your year that you can accept Jesus Christ into your life and start this year with, with the power of God living inside of you. If you're finding it hard to be grateful or to be gracious, your opportunities in Christ, he's done it first. He gives you the power to do it. Let's pray.